This is Ahead of the Curve, a banker's podcast. Uh, Welcome to this episode of Ahead of the Curve, a banker's podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Thomas Curley, and I am here with Rob Newberry. Uh, Rob is a a veteran of the podcast uh, so far, and so we're excited to have him back on. Uh, He's a senior advisor on Abrigo's advisory services team, and he's currently a faculty member at the Graduate School of Banking at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And over the last 10 years, he has been focused on working with financial institution leaders and regulators to develop a suite of credit administration tools for financial institutions. And maybe most importantly for today's conversation, I knew he grew up on a dairy farm. That's right, Thomas. Yes. That's why I'm an ag expert. I uh, milked cows for uh, many years. <laughs> so glad to be in the business world, not on a dairy farm. <laughs> well, uh, we're certainly excited to have you on to talk ag lending. I know it's a, a little bit more niche topic than some of the ones that I know you've jumped in on in the past, but I think it's an important one, especially for many community financial institutions out there. Uh, so I wanted to jump right in and Rob. You know, I know we've got high inflation across the board, um, potentially meaning you know, some high input costs. And my assumption is that there might be some increases in loan demand uh, for ag banks. Is that kind of true on your end? You know, what's going on in the market? Yeah. So a couple things going on uh, with that comment. Uh, the first one being, yes, eventually it will definitely lead to more loan volume. Now, I, it's one of the, the interesting things about the pandemic and the stimulus packages was that I think maybe ag was, uh, I'm going to say, a little overstimulated by government direct payments, which did a couple things. Hopefully, um, ag producers were able to pay down their debt load or debt carry, which would make it easier for you to give them money going forward and make the credits have less risk. Um, However, because they got government subsidies and then commodity prices also went up at the same time, it was kind of like a double whammy where uh, they were liquid with cash and really have been able to absorb to this point a lot of the increases um, in expenses. So kind of think of it this way, a lot of them prepaid some of their expenses for this year, last year, because they had some direct government payments and commodity prices were good. So the real impact hasn't really hit uh, a lot of the ag producers yet, but it is coming for sure. Awesome. And then I know we've got a lot going on globally, which I think more than other industries affects uh, the ag space. You know, is any comments on the war in Ukraine or any other of the economic issues and how that might play into some of the you know banks and credit unions out there in the ag space? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things going on uh, specifically with the war in Ukraine is we get a lot of our fertilizer from Ukraine or were. So that price, even for the non ag producer, if you were just a homeowner going to buy fertilizers, doubled or tripled in price just for a bag of it, right? And so the significant increase in fertilizer, and then we have the oil issue, right? And so Russia being a big oil supplier, um, as we cut those ties, um, the the cost of fuel has exploded as well. And so two of the main inputs for ag have had the highest inflation. And so you kind of get this double whammy of you know, fertilizer going up, gas prices going up. And with the, also with the increase in interest rates, Thomas, I'm not sure you're probably aware that we had a, a, 
a significant increase just the other day. First time since the mid 90s, I think that uh, interest rates were hiked by 75 basis points. The other main input a lot of times on ag is interest expense. So three of the biggest expenses have all significantly went up. And so uh, we have those things kind of going on in the ag landscape. Commodity prices are up. So one benefit uh, that we will see is because Ukraine's not producing grain right now, uh, the supply uh, or the demand for grain will go up. So commodity prices still should stay up. I think I read an article yesterday that they anticipate commodity prices, uh, at least through next year, kind of being 5% higher. Um, So pretty steady or higher, um, which is good. But I guess the biggest concern I kind of have with that, Thomas, is with the high input costs. You know, we were able to take advantage of that in 2021 and 2020. The flip side is we'll have high input costs. And then when the commodity prices drop, we'll be caught on the backside of that. And that's when a lot of folks will get in trouble. So if you remember back in 2019, and that's the last time interest rates were this high, um, farm income was not very good, right? I mean, (laughs) that was uh, some of the ag stuff was getting pretty tight, not a lot of profitability. And then COVID hit and um, things significantly changed. Now we're kind of back to where we were. Uh, March 3rd, 2020 is when Prime was at 4.75. So exactly where we were before COVID from an interest rate perspective. So what you're saying is we should go and uh, dust off some of those old white papers and blogs. Uh, that yeah, background. From 2019. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's interesting because I know you're, I think maybe you'll ask me a question about how the 80s and uh, ag crisis ties into now. And, um, you know, one of the things that you a new term. It's not a new term. It was back in the eighties too. It's called stagflation, which basically means we're having uh, inflation, but our GDP is actually declining. So typically, when you have inflation, that means our economy is booming, and you know we're it's more expensive to do things because we have to pay more money for people to work, and everything's going great. Uh, we're kind of in a unique situation that we have inflation, and after the pandemic and you know, now we're raising interest rates to also shutter GDP that we have stagflation, which is we have not enough supply, but the demand isn't really growing. And so that supply chain issue, still, we're still dealing with COVID issues and we have, you know, microchip issues and we have all these other things still going on is interesting. And stagflation was also in the 80s ag crisis. It's kind of was one of the leading causes that uh, created that um, issue back in the 80s. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we'll definitely talk a little bit more because I wanted to get your thoughts on you've written a white paper for us recently, and I wanted to get some of your yeah. thoughts on that. Um, before we jump off the state of the ag landscape, always like to ask as I'm reading other you know articles across the industry, they'll sometimes call out specific regions or maybe dairy farmers or you know corn and specifically, are there any sectors that you think present a unique opportunity or maybe or areas or vice versa, maybe you're something to look out for just some of the, the data that you've been seeing? Yeah, you know, uh, the only thing I saw that, and it really didn't concern me, I mean, uh, steer, so like uh, livestock pricing looked like it was going to be level or down a little and with the high input cost of corn, right? So when commodity prices of corn is high, it's more expensive to feed your cattle. So if if the um, cost that the borrow the producers are getting for cattle is actually going to decline a little, and their input costs are going to go up, uh, there might be a little concern in the cattle lot, you know, cattle, cattle feeder lot, ranch, 
issue. Um, the only other issue, Thomas, is with high input costs, just commodity prices in general. If we take a dip in any of them, just with the high input cost, it could be lead to some significant issues uh, rather quickly, right? Just because uh, everybody will be flipped upside down pretty quick there. So, Gotcha. And I guess that probably leads into the next question I had was we alluded to it at the top end about, you know, will some of this stuff lead to increased demand given some of the stimulus that they've had and been able to rely on the past couple of years? Um, do you do you see that being a, um, something that's going to happen real soon or something that might still, like you said, is still being delayed a little bit? It might take some time to catch up. Yeah, I would anticipate the, the volume will start picking up um, next year. So the next ag cycle. So we kind of, you know, we're in the Midwest. I'm in the Midwest here, Thomas, you're aware of that, but you know, we got all our crops in. So we're through that phase of what the lending cycle. So once they get those crops in, um, depending on commodity prices, I think next cycle, you'll see a lot bigger demand for loan volume because uh, of the high input costs that folks won't want to prepay their expenses like they did uh, previously coming into 2022. And I think you'll see ag demand significantly increase um, going forward. So I think most folks have probably burned through the stimulus and their liquidity um, getting to where they're at now in that we should see an increase in volume in 2023 as we start the ag cycle again. Great. I think that'll, that'll be some some good news. Obviously, there's always some some nuance to that, as I know, obviously, we don't love inflation, some of the other things that come with it. But I think some good news yep. for financial institutions out there. Uh, switching gears a little bit, and we've already talked a quick second uh, about the 1980s farm crisis. Um, you mm-hmm. kind of wrote a white paper that had a little bit of information in there. Wanted to get your thoughts on how are you seeing the current environment maybe similar to the 1980s? Um, what should lenders maybe be keeping an eye on specifically based on your experience? Yeah, a couple things. You know, one is there's always folks that chase hot deals. So when commodity prices are high, land values go up. So we've seen a significant increase in land values. So then people that want to buy the land have to buy it at the highest level. That with high interest rates make that a lot riskier because if if the ag land is elevated and then comes back to more normal pricing, folks will feel like they um, are underwater, right, in their current purchase. So it just makes that debt load a lot heavier for them to carry um, as you go forward. And so, Thomas, that's one of the big concerns. And that's what happened in the 80s was a couple things. One is commodity prices dropped, but farmers had a lot of inventory. Well, in order to survive, they had to sell their inventory. And that was what was backing up a lot of the loans. So then all of a sudden, there were a lot of uh, loans that were basically unsecured because they had sold the inventory underneath the bank without the bank being aware of that. And um, the only good news is usually in inflationary time, real estate's a good thing to hold because the values go up. Now, the bad thing is, if it's a bubble and prices come back down, you may be paid too much. And if you're paying, you know, the current interest rates that have went up significantly in the last two months, uh, you could get caught on the backside of that. And that's kind of what happened in the eighties. So. Gotcha. One thing I've heard you talk about is risk scoring models. Are there some, some strategies that you think folks should start to implement to mitigate the potential of some of those, those things from happening in their ag portfolio? Yeah, there, there's a few things. And so unfortunately inflation hits, the ag industry in a couple ways. If it's a family farm, you have it hitting you 
kind of double. You have your lip, you know, your living expenses. A lot of times when we talk about uh, credit analysis for ag, uh, we do what a global, we call it a global analysis, which means we're going to look at the farm income and the personal income and use that combination to qualify the borrower. Well, if you have high input costs and inflation, so your living costs also go up and you're using the same source of revenue to cover that, it'll squeeze squeeze that credit. And, you know, the other big thing we have going on right now, Thomas, is we have um, CECL uh, going on. So uh, we have third and fourth quarter this year where all folks will be trying to implement CECL. Depending on the methodology they pick, if they pick like a default, loss given default method, right? Um, and we And they do like what I would call loan grade migration, understanding the changing in that credit grade based on some of these things that we're talking about will also have an impact on the amount they'd have to reserve for CECL. So, you know, that probability of default method uh, is one of the methods that I'm sure several institutions are probably using in that. And so that'll be something to be aware of uh, on that front as well. The other thing is understanding cash flow, right? We know that as interest rates go up, that's one of the major expenses, making sure that the borrower can cover both interest and expense um, on that front uh, will be critical. And just watching, I, I think what happened in the 80s, Thomas, to go back just a second is a lot of times we didn't have the due diligence. So we knew they had inventory, but we really didn't check to see if it was still there. I think keeping our eyes on the ball a little more this time. And so if we do get things a little tighter, making sure if we do have inventory as collateral, we we know that it's there. We actually look at it. So if it's a tractor, is it a pedal tractor or is it a real tractor? Right? Understanding what is really the collateral behind some of those notes. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, you know, land is always a good um, asset to have typically during inflation periods. But obviously, if there's some sort of bubble there could be something wrong with that. Anything that they should be doing on the pricing side or anything of that nature to be ready for any potential risk on something like that happening? Yeah, there's a couple of things they can do on pricing. Glad you asked that question, Thomas. Um, re- really two things come to mind. Typically in a raising rate environment, um, we do a couple things, right? Uh, we kind of tr- we're kind of afraid of interest rate risk as bankers. So we typically want to go short. And when you do short-term loans, you're working in the narrow part of the net interest margin band. So, you know, usually you don't charge as much for a one-year commitment as you do a 15-year mortgage, right? Because you have that interest rate risk. Well, if you're always working in the narrow band and your cost of funds goes up, you're, you just have a l- less opportunity um, to make money as a financial institution. So one of the things you can do from a pricing perspective, specifically... Um, if you're competing with, you know, farm credit and some of the other government backed agencies is you might want to consider going a little longer in your product. So offering products that give the customer a little protection as well from a fixed rate perspective. So I've seen a lot of ag clients that do like a, a one year fixed uh, line of credit, basically, or a loan. But, you know, the spread's very narrow on that instead of doing a seven year you know, 25 balloon or something. And so trying to understand maybe your product mix and creating features that the customer will pay up for, for that protection that they get from a credit risk perspective uh, can be huge as you go forward uh, in a raising rate environment, because I don't think rates are done moving up, Thomas. 
we talked about, you know, the name of the podcast ahead of the curve, the curve's still going up, right? So there's probably still a couple more interest rate hikes out there and trying to understand how to price those will be critical to maintain your profitability as a financial institution. Gotcha. And I think you've you've already alluded to this a little bit, but I know one thing uh, that Abrigo from a software perspective is really trying to help people make you know smarter loans and be able to catch things if something starts to go bad. Are there any tips or tricks that you would uh, maybe want to let the audience know about how to identify those problem loans before they get to that point, especially with an ag lens uh, there? Yeah, there's a couple of things you can do. And I know a lot of ag folks might not be aware of this, but there are specific business codes even related to ag. So there's not one ag. You can get as specific as corn farming, you know, honeybee farmers. You can get very specific in those NAS codes. So one is understand your concentration risk and do stress testing. And so whether it's, you know, we're in a raising rate environment, what happens if their debt service coverage changes by 25%, can they still make those payments? Uh, is the first thing. The second thing I would say is proactively manage your portfolio. So knowing that, you know, as financial institutions, we're typically a little leery of interest rate risk. We probably have a bunch of folks maybe resetting here in the near future. So if you had a operating line or you had a three-year balloon or five-year balloon, um, you might look to see if they're a good credit. Can you take advantage and maybe refi them a little early? Um, take advantage of the interest rate cycle. So if you look at this, if the interest rates today, it only costs 15 more basis points from a two-year treasury to a 10-year treasury. So very flat from two to basically 30 years uh, is almost the same interest rate. So it doesn't really cost you more money to go longer. It's more convincing your board and um, forgetting all that stuff we said that was really bad about interest rate risk and actually booking some longer term fixed product on your books, which one is it improves your pricing, two, it reduces the credit risk a little because you've locked them into a rate. So if rates go up on uh, in general, but your your farmers are locked in at 5% versus moving it up to 7%, um, there's that more ability for them to make profit because you've already got them locked in. So Awesome. Well, so the intention was to hit on some of the, the top uh, concerns for ag bankers for sure throughout this podcast. And so we've hit on the market just generally globally. We've hit a little bit on the inflation, the rising rates and some of the credit risk. One thing that always pops up when I look at surveys and other uh, resources that ag, ag banks are worried about are competition, right? And uh, we mentioned farm credit, but uh, what are some ways you've seen clients stand out uh, in the ag space as it's getting more and more competitive as we go each year? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of reasons we're seeing that, right, Thomas? One is there hasn't been a lot of loan demand, so you're fighting over table scraps, right, uh, currently. So it gets pretty competitive in that space. Uh, a couple ways that some institutions can separate, I've seen them separate themselves, is one is try to avoid what I call commodity pricing on your loan products, Right don't offer the exact same product that all the banks around you are offering because then you're going to get rate shocks. And that, that hurts everybody, right? Because you're only as good as the lowest person in your community or vicinity, and you're kind of at their mercy. But if you can create products with either features that people are willing to pay up for, um, one is 
even if it's the same price, if you have a different feature, you might attract um, customers that you wouldn't normally get and be able to close a higher rate because you have other features. Specifically, knowing that we're in a raising rate environment, once again, giving them some long-term protection um, is probably a huge win. But even if it's um, maybe a little higher, uh, lower rate, but charging an origination point or letting them buy down the rate a little, you know, simple things like that, Thomas, that can separate yourself from, you know, everybody selling table salt would be a huge win, I think, for customers. Um, the other one is just be proactive with your customers, right? Understand we've just went through uh, the pandemic. So a lot of them probably had some stimulus money, but kind of understanding where they're at and being proactive as you manage their portfolio. So you don't lose good customers that you have. So there's attracting new customers to, to get growth and there's maintaining the ones you have. So don't, try not to lose the ones you, you have. Awesome. One, uh, one question I had had, I was wondering if, Midwestern banks. We've got a lot of a lot of producers and farmers out there that uh, they like going into the branch. But I was curious on if you've seen a huge uh, shift towards technology, really like digital application type tools at some of these ag banks, and if that's another way to start to differentiate too. Yeah, you know it's interesting, Thomas, because the pandemic I think has taught us all, whether you're an ag farmer or you know us, Thomas, that we can work remote and be more efficient. And especially with rising input costs um, and all those things, if it, and we've had this request multiple times of being able to have uh, ag customers submit their financials electronically, being able to input them themselves and do all kinds of fun, cool things or being able to sign online. So, you know, if you can be in the field and not at a bank, you're probably more efficient. So technology is definitely playing a role not only there, but, you know, think of all the automated machinery equipment that's controlled by GPS, right? So you don't even have to really drive your combine anymore. The drives itself. And so technology is becoming a bigger and bigger role in ag. And I think some of the uh, farmers that are a little longer in the tooth are starting to understand that piece. And we also have kind of a new generation of uh, farmers coming in that are used to that type of technology, and if you don't have it, we'll be disappointed in probably banks somewhere else. So you have this kind of niche of some older folks um, finally getting to understand the importance of technology and uh, newcomers expecting it. And if you don't have it, they'll find someone that does. So a couple of ways technology is impacting that. Yeah, and I think the beauty of what you were just talking about is that the by having the technology doesn't mean you have to use it for every single customer or producer that you've got. You can, you have the opportunity, that's something they want to do, but they can still come into the branch if needed. So it's just a nice to have those options when you need it, I think. Yeah, Thomas, if you look at it the, the opposite way, if, you, if it could be a, a deal killer if you don't have it, right? But it's not a, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll use it. But if you don't have it and you have, uh, once again, as farms turn over to the next generation, that generation's grown up using their phone to do everything, right? And so if you don't have that ability, you're going to lose out just because you don't have that ability. Not that they will use it every time because they might come in the institution or you might need the technology to go out and see them. Instead of having them come to the branch, can you go out there with technology and iPad or something else in uh, di digital signature and do some other things that are pretty cool versus them having to come in and sign a paper? So, Good things to keep in mind for sure. Uh, so I want to go ahead and start uh, wrapping up our time here. 
if listeners take you know anything away from the conversation, I was curious if you had maybe two or three main points that uh, you'd want them to think about after the call. Keeping in mind we've got you know financial institutions across the United States with uh, ag portfolios listening in. Yeah, a couple things. One is um, you know don't panic. The, the loan volume will come back, right? And so I think to your point earlier, Thomas, about the credit risk, uh, making sure that your model. Um, is updated um, and that you understand that, you know, with high input costs, the risk is commodity prices falling um, and the profitability of those customers going forward um, in inflationary times, right? So that would be one. One is also, um, I would say, do the due diligence, whether it's when you're doing a credit and, uh, and looking at the collateral or whether it's managing your loan portfolio and trying to catch things before they go south on you, right? And trying to fix things um, as you go. So, and then uh, I guess the third one is it's okay to say no. So don't fight over the table scraps that might not be worth fighting over. So we talked about, you know, there's not a lot of loan demand right now. However, that doesn't mean uh, you should go try to chase every deal and either make no money on it because you've offered such a low rate or, you pick up customers that you normally wouldn't have done based on your credit policy just because you're not having any loan demand. So if it's a bad loan, it's a bad loan. So, you know, just because there's not any good loans out there, uh, don't pick up the bad loans. If, if that makes sense, Thomas. So, well, I think that will uh, do it for our episode today. Uh, for those that are new listeners uh, or those that haven't subscribed yet, you can find this podcast and future episodes on abrigo.com or you can find it on your favorite podcast app platform. Uh, you can search Ahead of the Curve, a banker's podcast, or simply Abrigo. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back again with our next episode soon. And Rob, just want to thank you, as always, uh, for joining us and talking a little bit of ag. Thanks, Thomas, for having me. We look forward to talking to you, everyone again soon.